Sometimes you just need a quick overview of the news. Other times you need a deeper understanding of what's going on. The Rundown Podcast has all of that, and it's Chicago-based, so you know what's up in your neighborhood and across town. Listen to The Rundown wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Justin Kaufman, and this is Reset. The weather was beautiful this weekend across our country, and Democrats took the opportunity to get out and celebrate. Joe Biden reached 270 electoral college votes after winning Pennsylvania. Thousands and thousands of people out here in downtown Chicago. You chose hope and unity, decency, science, and yes, truth. It's time to put away the harsh rhetoric, lower the temperature, see each other again, listen to each other again. And to make progress, we have to stop treating our opponents as our enemies. They are not our enemies. They are Americans. They are Americans. Yes, many Democrats were literally dancing in the streets, but some Republicans aren't giving up hope, despite the fact there's no evidence of voter fraud. President Trump's legal team vows to bring a wave of new lawsuits in several states. The president's personal lawyer, Rudy Giuliani, is not backing down on the president's efforts to challenge the results of the election. Coming up in just a bit, we'll talk with Aaron Del Mar. He's the former Cook County Republican Party chair and a past Trump delegate. But first, David Farenthold is here. He's a political reporter for The Washington Post. David, welcome to Reset. Thank you. Good to talk with you. Uh, all right. Since Election Day, President Trump and his allies have been saying that there is evidence of election misconduct. What kind of evidence have they brought forth? What have they provided? Very, very little. I mean, that's the most important thing to know out of this. They've talked very big, put out a lot of hot air. But when it comes to actually writing down some allegations and showing them to a court, they've produced almost nothing. I mean, things like secondhand rumors, beliefs, in one case, a sticky note that came from an unnamed poll worker. Uh, in one case, they promised 10,000 cases of misconduct and actually only produced mm-hmm. one, which was later disproven. Uh, they've produced very, very little. Obviously, this is a, a big talking point in right-wing circles. This is something that if you talk to anybody who, who's on the, the right side of the political spectrum, they, they say, look, there's all these ballots in Detroit. Look, there's all these places. I mean, uh, what do you do with that when, when there isn't actually evidence that is actually being brought forth by the campaigns? It's a really bad thing for American democracy if the president and his allies are going to keep letting people believe that there was some sort of wide-scale misconduct when even they themselves haven't come up with examples of it. I mean, so they, they've made these assertions but have provided no proof. And I think you're right that the assertions filter down to some people, especially folks who are mad that Donald Trump lost, but they don't see the absolute lack of proof that's being, being provided. So I don't believe, at least from what we've seen so far, that any of these lawsuits are going to have an impact on the outcome of the election. They're going to change any vote counts. They're going to change who won in any state. Probably the long-term reaction is they're going to corrode people's trust in this election without basis, with no evidence to back that up. Yeah. And, David, the second argument is about provisional ballots or or military ballots and others coming in, that you will hear the same chorus that you heard from Democrats last week. You'll hear this week from Republicans saying, count the vote, count all the votes. Uh, There's still some concerns or or at least uh, faded optimism in Republican circles that there could be a swing back in Georgia. There could be a swing back in, in a state like Pennsylvania because of outstanding ballots. I think that's very unlikely to happen. I mean, obviously, they are counting the votes, and that's an important thing to notice. It's also important to note that the the states we're talking about here are run by Republicans, very conservative Republicans in the case of Georgia and Democrats. So it's it's not like there's one party in charge of this. Mm -hmm. I don't think, given Biden's lead in Pennsylvania, that the provisional ballots are going to overturn that. Arizona is probably the closest state where there are still some ballots outstanding, but 
the people who know that state really well say Trump has been catching up, but he doesn't have there's probably not enough ballots outstanding for him to catch up. So we may even see recounts in Georgia and Arizona, but I don't expect him to swing the result. I expect Biden to win both those states. David, who's paying for these uh, recounts? Is that something if it's inside of a certain number that the state actually pays for it, the taxpayers pay for it, or is it something that the campaigns have to pay for? When Georgia is the one I know best, the final result is within half a percentage point. Uh, candidates can request the recount and the state pays for it. Uh, and last I saw that Georgia was still within that window. So somebody probably will request a recount. And for Trump, it's, you know, what's the cost of requesting right, a recount? Right. Um, but, you know, recounts, uh, you know, we've, we saw a bunch of recounts in 2016 after Hillary Clinton lost. You know, those change at most a few hundred ballots. And these are states where Biden is winning by thousands. Obviously, the, the, the overwhelming idea that there's been voter fraud has been uh, discredited. But there have been some victories when it comes to Republican challenges, say, in Pennsylvania. They're little victories, but things about uh, monitoring the, uh, the ballot count, things of that nature. So it hasn't been the courts haven't automatically or uniformly thrown everything out. There have been some little victories. That's right. The Republicans won a couple of victories in, in Pennsylvania, but those were victories about sort of where poll observers were allowed to stand in the Philadelphia counting center, you know, let them stand a little closer to the people who were actually counting ballots. You know, there was nothing about that case that even tried to change the vote count or have some ballots thrown out. So Republicans won there, but it didn't change the outcome of even a single vote in Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. So if the, if the president does not concede, if uh, he's hearing from Rudy Giuliani, his lawyers, that's you push forward. You saw that yesterday in the Sunday morning talk shows, uh, Senator Cruz, Senator Graham saying, fight, fight, fight. What are the next moves here? What, what, what should we expect as Americans to see uh, this, this campaign, Trump's campaign, do in the next couple of days? Well, you've seen lots of different, you know, sort of insider accounts of what they're going to do. Supposedly Trump is going to come out and wave some obituaries of people, of dead people who he said voted, which there's no proof of that at all. Supposedly he's going to have rallies and raise money. So far, I mean, I think what's the best guide is not what Donald Trump says he'll do or people say Donald Trump will do. It's what has he done? The last two days, he went golfing at his own property in, in northern Virginia. And I think if you believe the election had been stolen from you and there was evidence out there that would prove that, you know, that American democracy had just been stolen away, would you play golf? Would you spend two days golfing at the crucial time? So that, to me, says more about the energy that Donald Trump's actually going to put into fighting this than anything else. Yeah. At this crucial time, he's spending his days on the golf course. If the president does not concede, if he says, no, I don't, I'm never going to concede because I want to I want to maintain party over or my America. What does that mean for us? I mean, what does that mean if half the country, 71 million voters, believes this to be illegitimate? It won't mean that Donald Trump gets to stay on as president. Whether he concedes or not doesn't have any legal meaning as far as the outcome of the election. One of the things about that's supposed to be happening now is the federal government is supposed to be setting up transition offices where Biden people can come in, get government emails, get offices and government agencies. They sort of start learning how things work so they can take over smoothly on January 20th. Trump's administration has refused to sort of sign the paperwork that makes that happen. So the Biden folks, the longer that goes on, will we'll have a harder time getting up to speed when they get into office. Right. The other thing you, you referred to is sort of the political consequences. What does it mean if that many people believe the election is illegitimate? I hope we don't end up in a situation where every person who cast a ballot for Donald Trump believes everything Donald Trump says about the legitimacy of this election. But for anybody that does believe in these completely false and unsupported assertions, it could really be bad for our democracy. The people have to trust that the system works for them and for the other guy. And if Donald Trump convinces people without evidence that something was done to 
steal the election from him, that's a horrible thing for our future. I was, uh, you know, talking to a family member this weekend of of the uh, on the other side of the the political spectrum, saying, "Well, it doesn't matter that the Associated Press called it because that's fake." This idea that these these planted ideas early on are coming to fruition, they're growing right in front of us. I mean, that's dangerous. I think one of the things to be very thankful for over the last week is places like Arizona and Georgia, where Republicans run the state, in Georgia's case, run every level of state government, that those folks have conducted a fair count, done it in public, showed all the steps, and come out and said repeatedly, look, you know, there's nothing wrong here. We're doing it right. We're following by the book. Uh, I'm glad they've done that, and I hope that that makes a difference, too. But, yes, you know, in a year, if we if there's really people out there who believe that Joe Biden stole this election, you know, American politics, one thing that we depend on in democracy is losers. Losers help make democracy. When you lose and you accept your loss and move on, that's one of the strongest things you can do for our democracy. And we've never had anybody in U.S. history use a loss to sort of blow up the system on his way out like Trump is doing. And and you hear even, I mean, some of his supporters in media, like on Fox News, are saying, you know, think about your legacy here. You know, you don't want to be the one uh, U.S. president, like you just said, tries to blow it up on the way out. I've read a lot about Donald Trump's business career and, you know, how has he handled disasters in the past? Because it's happened many times that he's failed. You know, think about Trump University, his casinos in, in Atlantic City. And often there's sort of a two-stage process in which he swears he'll never, he'll never surrender, he'll fight to the death, you know, that no one will ever take him alive, and then he surrenders and he leaves. The first sort of hysterical wave is sometimes a way to get leverage to get himself a better deal on his way out the door. So, you know, we can look at Donald Trump's life and assume that probably he will back down, walk away, you know, patting himself on the back for something. But, you know, the question is how many people out there know it's a con? You know, how many people watch that and know this is just what he does? Or how many people think it's legitimate that he really believes the election was stolen? Yeah. And as we look forward to this week, what do you expect from the Trump campaign? Are they going to get, like you said, they're going to come out uh, waving obituaries? Is it going to be led by Trump? Will there be press conferences from the landscaping companies in Philadelphia? Like, what, 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 <laughs> what can we expect from the Trump campaign this week? I mean, I would never have predicted that they would hold a press conference in the parking lot of a landscape company next to, uh, you know, an adult bookstore, which did happen last Friday. Um, so it's hard to predict. But if they had something real, we would have seen it by now. And their allegations instead have gotten only more vague and hysterical. So I don't see them coming up with anything that's concrete enough to really affect the outcome. Probably you'll see Trump continuing to tweet, maybe to call in. But like I said, I don't feel like he has done very much, invested very much of his own time and energy into this claim that the election was stolen. You know, if he's going to play golf, I mean, if he's presented with the option of fighting or playing golf, he chooses playing golf. I would bet that's what he continues to do more of that over the next week and not less, uh, that there's not as much sort of hubbub from him as people are predicting now. It's Pulitzer Prize winning reporter, political reporter from The Washington Post, David Farenthal. Uh, David, thanks for taking some time out to talk to us today. Appreciate it. Hey, thank you. Okay, now let's turn to Aaron Del Mar, Palatine Township Republican chair and former Cook County Republican Party chairman. Aaron, what's your take on the president's reaction, his team's reaction and their vow to fight this in the courts? Well, I think a lot of Republicans are still very upset about the outcome of the race. However, you know, I think it's time to put that aside and to move forward. Um, I think all this litigation, while maybe legal and maybe the right of the president, I don't think it's really going to turn over that many votes. When we talk about what we might see next from this president, President Trump, what do you see from being a past uh, delegate and and understanding what kind of man uh, President Trump is? Do you think that uh, his advisors around him will be able to convince him that argument? 
No, I don't think so. I don't think that's the standard operating procedure for this president. And, you know, one of the challenges about being a, a delegate to the convention for, for the president was that you try to have to separate the policy from the person and, you know, some of the behaviors um, altogether. And, and that can be very challenging a lot of times. Um, I don't think you've heard the last of this president. I don't think that um, he's just going to walk quietly into the night, as they say. I think you can really count on him to consistently throw bombs at, at uh President-elect Biden for the next four years, and I would not be shocked at all if there's a reemergence of Trumpism and that yeah. he tries to run again in 2024. I think that's a real reality because right now I don't know of any candidate that can compete with him in a Republican primary. Um, he's got a strong voter base that's going to stick with him no matter what. And if you see what happened with Bernie uh, Sanders. Right. It took all of the Democratic Party to unite against him to overcome his 20 to 30 percent base. And in a crowded field, Donald Trump is going to always hold that 30 to 40 percent base. So uh, you haven't heard the last of him. Mm. In regards to tarnishing his reputation as a president, I mean, I think that ship kind of sailed. Some of the antics that he's had already, some of the uh, ways he's handled certain things, not necessarily the policies, but the mannerisms and behavior. So I don't think he really cares, to be honest with you. I think that, you know, he's got his own kind of universe, and um, he's going to listen to those in, in, uh, that he respects, and, and, and that's a very small group, and he's going to do what he thinks all the way till uh, January 20th. Yeah. There's 70 million votes or so cast for Republicans in this country, uh, a historic number in, in, in defeat. That tells me, as I look at this, that whether it's the policies or the man himself, but the, the movement around Trump had, did resonate with Republican voters. Well, I think that's a two-pronged um, issue. The first one is that, yes, I think he expanded his base. He expanded his voter turnout than he did in 2016. However, I think you also need to look at the policies and how the left has been um, reacting in the last several years, too. Um, there really is a strong pull farther farther to the left. You have AOC, and you have a lot of these more progressive leaders coming out and trying to bring the country that far left. And I think this is kind of a snapback reaction to that. I think there's a lot of people that went and voted for Donald Trump, not because they liked him or not because they always liked all those policies. But I think a lot of it was to kind of poke the left in the eye and say, hey, you're not going to take us that far left. Mm. Um, you know, we're middle America. And I've heard that, too. You know, as we talk about President Trump and as you as you mentioned, just his personality probably says that he's not going to concede or or that, uh, you know, he's not that concerned about his legacy. But what about the GOP? Uh, the national GOP, uh, the leaders that we've seen across the board, there have been a, a very small handful, including really just kind of the detractors from the president that have come out and say, we want to see you move on from this. But do you do, do you want to see more national GOP leaders kind of step up and, and say it's time to move on? Yeah, and I think you're going to find that the same situation that's happening with Donald Trump is the same situation that's happening with Mike Madigan. Until more elected leaders at the higher end start coming out against Donald Trump, it's not going to free up some of the rank-and-file members to go along with it. Everyone's kind of waiting for who's going to flip to the other side. A lot of people are really concerned about it. Even at a local level, the brand of Republican has drastically changed in the last four years. And it is a little bit scary. I mean, we had some of this in the last six months where people were afraid to put out Trump lawn signs. They were afraid to put in bumper stickers um, that somebody would vandalize their house. 71 million people came out and voted for Donald Trump. 75 million voted for Joe Biden. Yes, there's a 4 million difference, but that just shows that there's a strong political divide in the United States. And it's not going to get done just by one side. Um, Joe Biden did a great job, I think, uh, in his speech talking about how he's going to be the president for all Americans. 
and that's great in a speech, but how is he going to convince the left to kind of come more to the center? Because that's the only way you're going to get Republicans to get on board. Mm-hmm. And that is going to be the biggest challenge because he's got to satisfy his base, and then he's got to try to come over the aisle and try to bring some of our people over if we're going to unite this nation. You mentioned Illinois, you know, Aaron, and you've been a longtime uh, politico here in Chicago and in Cook County, and obviously right in your current job as Palatine Township Republican chair. I mean, just over the border in DuPage County, a big story this morning in the Tribune just about how this time uh, it followed exactly how it did in 2018. It went blue. Are you concerned that the, the shifting demographics or the change in, in DuPage County politics means you may lose that stronghold as a Republican county? I think that stronghold is already gone, to be honest with you. I think that you saw some of that inklings happening in 2016. You saw a lot of it happen in the 2018 race when Peter Roskam um, was defeated. Peter Roskam was, you know, for most people, was moderate of the road Republican, and he lost by a resounding percentage, unfortunately. And that brought in Sean Caston, who was significantly to the left. And Sean was able to hold that seat. And if you look at the 6th Congressional District. Now, granted, GEI was, was a very strong right conservative, I mean, far, far right. You would think that would appeal to the base. I mean, that was the Congressional District of Henry Hyde. Mm-hmm. Um, that didn't happen. So DuPage has consistently started going to left and left. Even if you look at the race in 18 for gubernatorial, um, you know, J.B. Prisker almost carried the whole, all of DuPage over Bruce Rauner, which was, is, is incredibly scary. And you're of. seeing that change. Yeah. Uh, well, where is the Republican stronghold in this area? I mean, you're in Palatine and Cook County. Would you, would you say McHenry County? Where, where are Republicans winning or where they're gaining ground? If you look at this, um, this cycle right now, we picked up two seats in the state house, um, which is great. Um, we should have had four, but two, two is better than none, and we didn't give up any of our uh, additional seats. And that is going to be seen in a lot of McHenry counties. It's going to see a lot of it downstate. I mean, the second you step foot out of Chicago and the Collar counties, it's all red. If you look at a... Uh, election map in Illinois, Mm -hmm. um, you only need to win 27% of Chicago and Cook County to win statewide. A lot of people don't know that. Um, You know, so the rest of the the state's going to pull us up. Um, Locally in the burbs, I mean, Lake County has really had a strong shift to the downside, DuPage County, just as you mentioned, but we're still strong um, in the northern parts of Cook, um, Palatine Township. We won every one of our um, Republican candidates except for Donald Trump. You know, Wheeling Township, a lot of those in the northern townships are very, very strong that border on that Cook County, Lake County border. But as soon as you get past Lake County, you get into McHenry and northern, um, it's it's pretty solid red out there. And I think that's going to continue that way, yeah. you know, unless there's more urban sprawl. My last question, just Aaron, as we look at the too-close-to-call race in the 14th, uh, just over the weekend, Lauren Underwood, who was the Democrat incumbent there because of mail-in balloting uh, and voting, had, has, has gone ahead uh, the candidate, the Republican, the former state senator, Jim Oberweiss, already declared victory. Same concept here with Trump? I mean, does, at a certain point, does, does Jim Oberweiss have to concede after declaring victory? Yeah, I think that's what's going to have to happen pretty soon. I think, um, you know, Jim's a great guy. He, you know, he runs for a lot of races. Um, I mean, he's pretty much a perennial candidate. Um, and I think that kind of hurt him um, in the general. I think that if you would have had a little bit of a stronger Republican candidate, um, we would have taken that seat back. You have to remember that was a seat of Dennis Hassert. That is true red Republican down there, but that's not going to overcome a you know lighter candidate. And while he's got a ton of name recognition from a, you know the business and the, and the dairy industry, he also has a reputation of losing a bunch of elections. You know, you're several times over. I think that seat is going to flip, and in two years from now, 
Um, there'll be a stronger Republican candidate out of that that will be a little bit more definitive. But I do think that in the next coming days, you're going to see Jim Overweiss, you know, concede that election because the votes aren't there. I mean, if you look at the whole history of this, Donald Trump and a lot of the Republicans were talking about, we're going to vote on Election Day. We're not going to let our ballots go in the mail. And there was a significant amount of early voting um, by absentee ballot. We were doing poll watching in Palatine Township, and we saw countless and countless people come in and want to physically put their absentee ballot in uh, the poll instead of doing it in the mail. And now look what happens. I mean, you look at Dan Patlick in the Board of Review. He came out night of with 32,000 lead, and as of uh, half an hour ago, it's been dwindled down to 8,000 Um, lead. I mean, that's it's it's not just nationwide; it's local as well. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a different election. There's no doubt about it here in 2020. Aaron Delmar, Palatine Township Republican Chair and former Cook County Republican Party Chair. Aaron, thanks so much for joining us. Appreciate it. Thanks so much. Uh, good day. And that is today's reset for the most up to date news about the election or the COVID 19 pandemic. Tune to 91.5 WBEZ or go to wbez.org. I'm Justin Kaufman. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you right back here tomorrow. If you need a break from the news, WBEZ's Nerd App Podcast is here for you. Our show is all about delight. We laugh about what's happening in pop culture and feature thoughtful interviews with fascinating people. We even have a monthly book club. Listen to Nerd App wherever you get your podcasts.